Ladies and gentlemen, it's Eric Conavalov in the house. Eric, what's a good word? Nobody's introducing you, Harry. I'm, I'm not liking that. <laughs> and Harry Spate, ladies and gentlemen. All right, now I feel better. I can't oh, believe all of Me too, but I need a little more uh, of a thunderous roar and uh, at least a golf clap too. Today's guest, Eric, I learned so, so much. I cannot just get over it. I've got uh, pages of notes yet again. Um, super thrilled to have this fellow, Dave Gambrel, who I've learned what affiliate marketing means because I had no idea. And I learned a ton from that. But uh, a lot of other things. What about you? Now, I was so excited that Dave could spend an hour with us today because he's been a mentor of mine for a few years now. And he's literally taken my game on social media to a whole different level. It's because of Dave, I, I was able to create my online course. I'm able to do the live videos I can do. I understand the purpose of all those. And he's a huge, huge proponent of, you know, um, having a side hustle. And in today's world, that's probably one of the biggest reasons I brought Dave on is people, a lot of folks feel like they don't have a choice right now, right? They're, they've been laid off, companies closed. They might be on unemployment or something, but they're looking for ways to restart um, get some more income into the house without being an Uber, Uber driver. Oh my God. So hopefully my dog just didn't give our listeners a heart attack. Uh, he gave me a heart uh, attack. That was a dog. That was a dog. That wasn't me howling. Oh, I thought somebody uh, was like super excited about what I was saying. <laughs> it was awesome. But you know what? Really? I, I agree with you. I totally concur. But then he also gives like his 30, 60, 90, if you lost your job in COVID. So, mm -hmm. and that works for any time period. So whoever loses a job, but he says, this is what you need to do. And the steps are just awesome. He's a person that has uh, decided to uh, personify the Zig Ziglar, do stuff for others and good things will happen to you. That's the Harry Spade version. And he has done things for others. He puts others first. And he suggests those that have lost their job, start thinking about how you put content out there and helping others. And then in turn, put what your message is, what you want in return, be very clear. But then he spells it out over 90 days as to how to uh, really implement that. And I thought that was outstanding. I'm sure our guests will love it. He added a ton of value to us and all of you who are listening in buckle up, turn up your radio, and pay attention because you don't want to miss this show. And here we go. From here to there, we cannot go unless we change and start to grow. Welcome to Lead, Sell, Grow, a show that helps you amplify your leadership, grow your sales, and take your life to the next level, all while being human. Here are your hosts, Eric Konovalov and Harry Spate. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am super stoked to be with our guest today. He is my personal mentor for everything digital marketing. He's a Navy veteran. He is the founding director of the John Maxwell team. He is an expert in affiliate marketing, digital marketing, and helping people build their email list. He is the host of Unleash the Awesome podcast. He's a mentor to over 3,000 people in his amazing Facebook group, Digital Marketing Mentorship with Dave Gambrel. Good Morning America named him Master of the Chip Bag. And I want everyone to welcome my dear friend and mentor, Dave Gambrel. Welcome, Dave. Eric and Harry, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. And I have to admit, I've never been introduced with master of the chip bag uh, as part of the bio. So we can get into that later if you want. Yeah. Well, why don't we start off with that? How did you get that name? <laughs> okay. Might as well get right into it. So uh, years ago, I was taking a class from a guy named James Wedmore. He's pretty well known now, uh, but he had a course called like video traffic Academy or something. And what it was, was this was before we had video on our smartphones. So I was using a flip video cam and what James was uh, teaching us to do is to do a video every day, just get some consistency. This was probably like eight years ago. Wow. So like I was eight or nine days in and I was sitting on my back 
porch uh, for lunch and realized I hadn't shot a video yet. And I was like, what am I going to shoot a video on? And I quickly shot a video on how to uh, fold a chip bag close without using a chip clip, right? So I did it really fast, uploaded it to YouTube. I'm like, whatever, I did my video for the day. No big deal. Didn't think much about it. Then a couple of days later, a couple of websites picked it up and it got like tens of thousands of views, which is kind of a big deal back then. And, <laughs> and then it just died off and whatever, I had my 15 minutes of fame, whatever. And then about three years ago, that, that original video was like seven or eight years ago, about three years ago, uh, a producer from Good Morning America reached out to me and said, hey, can you come on live and demonstrate that chip bag thing? <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, am I being punked here? And she said, no, we're serious. So they sent a Lincoln Town car to my house here in New Jersey at four o'clock in the morning, drove me into New York City, and I demonstrated how to do that on Good Morning America. And at the bottom of the screen, it had my name, and then there's usually a title underneath, and the title that they had was Master of the Chip Bag. Nice. <laughs> That's the story. That's one of the greatest stories ever to start off a podcast with. Well, and I can tell you so, too, like there's a, there's a bunch of fools out there who, who post stuff like as seen on Good Morning America and as seen in the Wall Street Journal and all that other stuff. I can legitimately say that I was seen on Good Morning America. I just usually don't tell people what I was for on there. That, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> hey, Doritos. So, hey, you, Doritos. I had to look it up. It is legit. This is a legit story. <laughs> There's videos. Harry, if you join if you join Dave's digital marketing mentorship uh, Facebook group, which is by the way completely free, and anyone in sales or entrepreneurship should be a member of that group because I think Dave now posts two or three videos daily. He's going live, it feels like. And just the content's amazing. But you started out um, after you got out of the military, you were a Navy corpsman, took care of the Marines and sailors. Um, you got into if I remember correctly, pharmaceuticals, right? Yeah, I did some other selling jobs where I worked doing uh, recruiting for technology. So I was record, mm -hmm. uh, recruiting programmers and things like that, and then had a short stint doing that. And then I worked in professional sports for a little while. I did uh, worked for a minor league baseball team doing advertising sales, was director of sales for one of those teams, and then actually worked for the Philadelphia Flyers and 76ers doing all kinds of sponsorship sales and things in there too. So that I don't talk about that a ton, but yeah, I did that for, sure. I guess, three, three and a half years. And that's where I really started to learn how to close like big deals, like multi-million dollar deals and deal with some really cool negotiations. Uh, but then from there, yes, I went on to selling drugs out of the back of my car for a pharmaceutical company. And I did that for about 12 years. Nice. So most people who sell drugs for 12 years out of the back of their cars, I mean, You've built a ton of relationships with doctors. It's kind of easy peasy at that point. How did you, how did we go from that to Dave now with digital marketing mentorship? That's a great question. I think there, there's a two step process in there. So the first one is I was calling on doctors in the primary care arena. And as they were getting more pressed for time, I was getting less access, even though I had the relationships and I was just not getting fulfillment for my job, but, what I discovered kind of towards the tail end of that is I was thinking about what am I going to do next? I don't want to do this forever. This is kind of like groundhog day. Yeah, I'm very successful at it, but I just, I didn't feel like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing on this planet. So um, I started thinking about what do I really like about this job? What, what do I, you know, what gives me the most, uh, you know, what am I passionate about? What do I, what do I like? And what it was, was educating the doctors about the mechanism of action and how the drugs worked. And then I started looking at it and I said, you know what? I actually like coaching my kids' soccer teams and lacrosse teams as well. And I just like teaching in general, but I'd always stayed away from teaching because I don't want to get in the bureaucracy of like the school system. But what I discovered then was that I really like to help people you know, like take the next step in whatever their process is and help educate them and coach them through it. And so I pursued some training and certification. That's where I ran into you. Uh, in some leadership training, consulting, things like that. And I thought that would be my next uh, spot. And that's what I ended up doing. Actually, before I left the company I was working for doing pharmaceutical sales, I was doing some internal training there. They let me speak at some of their national sales meetings and stuff like that. And then I transitioned out of that and I uh, was doing leadership training and consulting. And I still actually have a business that does that. I have a revenue stream that does it. But where the digital marketing piece came was people in that same industry saw me being pretty successful getting my stuff online. And they started asking me like, 
how are you doing that? And how are you getting your videos online? And how are you building your email list? And how are you doing all these things? And so a bunch of people from that industry started asking me and I couldn't answer them all. Like I was taking calls and I would, you know, answer their emails, but I was getting so many calls and so many emails that I decided to start a group so I could answer the questions more efficiently. And then all of a sudden that became a thing. And then it became a whole nother revenue stream. And um, that's primarily where I spend most of my time today. My, you know, on my active revenue streams that I have, I spend most of the time in there helping people build out their digital footprint. Wow, that's awesome. So you've done, before we get into the, you know, go a little bit deeper, one other thing that's happened to you not too long ago is you you actually won a car. Yeah. Not any car either. You get, You got a Tesla. Yeah. So, yeah, so I earned it. Let's be, let's be correct in the, in the wording. I didn't, I didn't win it. I had to earn it. And the way I got that was it was a sales incentive. I, you know, I referred uh, a certain amount of people to a certain amount of, uh, to a, to a software company and I referred them enough business so that they're paying for my Tesla. So yeah, I ended up getting a Tesla model three. It was about a year ago this month um, that I got it and it only has about 11,000 miles on it. So I've not driven it a ton, but it's, it's a heck of a machine and uh, yeah, it was pretty cool to earn that. And I'm actually close to earning a car from another program as well. So I keep thinking I got one more kid who's got to get his driver's license. So I'm thinking maybe if I time that up right, then uh, my wife can get the new car. We can hand down her current car to him and then we'll be set. So that's kind of next on my agenda. That's awesome. So this is through, so you, you kind of have a few things going on. One of those is affiliate marketing. Is that the main source of income? It is a, it is a pretty, I wouldn't call it the main source, but it's a pretty reliable, consistent monthly revenue source. And it continues to go up, which is kind of amazing. We find ourselves in a really interesting situation now in the world. And uh, my affiliate revenue has continued to go up over the last few months. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So that is one of my uh, favorite revenue streams because you essentially do the work one time. And if you do it right, you will continue to get paid on it for a pretty long time. Oh, that's great. So for those folks out there who may not know what affiliate marketing is, what is it? The easiest way for me to explain what affiliate marketing is, it would be like you going to see a movie that you liked and then you told your friend, Hey, you should go see this movie. And if your friend went to go see the movie, you got paid a dollar or a percentage of the ticket sales or whatever. Like in the most basic form, that's what affiliate marketing is. In my situation, because of what I do with digital marketing, there are some tools that people are going to need to build their email list, to build their landing pages, to do their podcasts, to, to do their videos, to all that stuff. And I've been doing it for such a long time that I have pretty good relationships with a lot of these companies. And so I just recommend these tools to my audience and say, listen, yeah, I'm an affiliate partner. I could probably get you a pretty good deal. Um, and usually I do get really good deals because the relationships that I have. And then I show people how to use these things. And it's a win, win, win because in order for me to get paid over the long term, the the thing that I refer to them has to work for them. And so it's a win for the company that I'm helping sell their product, but it's also a win for that person because if I can teach them how to use it and they use it well and they continue to use it over time, then I continue to get paid. So everybody wins. They, they win the company that if the software or whatever, that company wins and I win, which is pretty awesome. Do you recommend others get into affiliate marketing? I do, but cautiously, because I think a lot of people look at that as like a quick uh, cash grab or get rich quick or something, which it is not. If you want to do it well, it is a long-term relationship play and a relationship with your prospects and customers, but also a relationship with some of these companies. So, you know, because you're in my group, like I've also won a lot of trips and spent a lot of time with the CEOs and co-founders of a lot of these big software companies that I help promote. And so mm -hmm. now that I have a seat at the table in relationships with them, it's taking me to another level and I'm able to bring even more value to my audience. But that stuff doesn't just happen by you getting a link to some product and then sharing it on your Facebook page and saying, Hey, go buy this thing. Like, but that's what a lot of people do. They call, you know, I call it link barfing. Right. They I've get, done it. <laughs> get their link. I've done it too. I, when I first started, I didn't know any better, but they're like, Hey, here's my affiliate link. Boom. And they just go in all these groups and share it. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. But if you, 
if you already have a business or you're thinking about building a business and there are some adjacencies or some parallel products and services that, that you know your people are going to need anyway and you can make that introduction, then I think affiliate marketing is one hell of a way to go. Oh, that's awesome. So there are Giphys. I think they're called GIFs or Giphys, you know, the pictures that move yep. with you that just says build your email list. Who are you talking to? <laughs> so I believe everybody that has a business or wants to have a revenue stream should have an email list because you need to have a list of prospects and clients and customers, right? So I don't usually delineate the, you know, the differences of those things, but ultimately if you're doing it right, you're probably going to have a leads list and a buyer's list at the, at the minimum. Um, but you need to be building a list of people that care about your stuff. I don't care that there's, all these newfangled things out there. And I know I'm going to sound like an old man, but that's, that's <laughs> fine. I'm, I'm getting there anyway. Um, you know, it doesn't matter that there's TikTok and people are trying to build their stuff on Instagram and all this other stuff, because at the end of the day, Zuckerberg could wake up and say, Hey, we're going to change all the rules. And we're going to, you're not going to be able to have Facebook groups anymore. You're not going to be able to do Instagram followers or whatever. Or TikTok, you know, they're based in China, which I, what, we could talk about that some other time, but, uh, they could change the rules at any time. And so if that's where your following is, if that's what you're, the audience that you're building, it's like building your business on the top of an active volcano. At any minute, that thing could explode and you're going to be in really, really bad shape. So if you build an email list, a customer list, and you have that information, then if something happens to your email list service or something happens in the economy, you still have that contact list and you can export it from that one service and go import it in another service. But that is an asset that you own. And if you have that, you can continue to have a conversation with your prospects and customers over the long term. You build no like and trust, and then you can have calls to action and sell stuff. But if you don't have that, then you're going to have a really hard time having a sustainable business over the long term. How do you know what to say to these people? To the people on my list? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. It's, it gets down to, you have to know who your audience is. You have to know who your clients or prospect avatar or persona or whatever you want to call it. You have to know who it is you're trying to target, right? I don't just target anybody. Uh, who is it that you're trying to target? What are their pain points? And then how can you help them? So can you help them move away from some pain or can you help them move towards some pleasure, right? It really depends on what it is you're selling and what your audience is. But generally speaking, I would say now, as we're doing this podcast, the time that we're in, probably a lot of people's messaging is helping folks move away from pain because a lot of people are in a tough spot right now. Uh, and so you'll see even the commercials on TV or whatever, they have these themes of like you know, these unprecedented times and these challenging times, right? So everybody is talking about the pain and how their company can help you move away from that pain. And so as I'm talking to my customers, to my email list, whatever, I changed my messaging kind of based on who my ideal client avatar is and then what's going on in the world. And then maybe I have my own promotion cycle that I'm working on. So maybe I have new courses or stuff that I'm launching. So I might pre seed some of the conversations, seed some of the conversation in those emails with stuff that's coming next month to start prepping them for some of the stuff that's coming. So when you have stuff going on and you're offering things for sale or you're helping promote other things, there's never a lack of stuff to talk about. You just have to do it in a way that adds value to your audience. So for me, you know, I try to keep a, a rotation of 75 to 80% value. Just let me teach and train and teach and train and teach and train. And then that other 20 to 25% are calls to action for sales or promoting an affiliate product or whatever. But um, the epiphany for me was when I finally understood and lived into what Zig Ziglar has famously said about help enough people get what they want. You can have anything you want. Once I understood that and internalized it and started doing that, that's when my business really took off. So as I took the focus off me and was more on we as a collective, as my email list, as my audience and how I can serve them and how I can help them, I never run out of stuff to say because they're always having challenges. There's always stuff going on. Um, there's always, you know, uh, fluctuations going on in the marketplace. And so I always have stuff where I can get in there and talk about it. And because I believe that if you want to be an expert or an influencer or a leader in that space, you got to get in there and help people, right? You got to bring some calm to the chaos 
And so now more than ever, like the last two or three months, to your point, I've been doing a lot of Facebook lives, been out in front of my audience a ton to just help them get some footing underneath them so that those that weren't online can now get online because all of a sudden there's an urgency for them to do it. And those that were online like you, um, people wanting to scale and grow things. And so I'm trying to answer those questions as well. So there's never a lack of things to talk about. And, and just from someone in your audience, the point of view, I'll, I'll share it with you guys that Dave definitely lives what he's talking about to the point that I bought a product online and then I saw Dave marketing. He was an affiliate marketer for the same product. <laughs> And I went and bought it again from Dave just so he could get the affiliate commission. So now I got, it's a good product anyway, but I bought two of them just so Dave could get it because I almost feel like I, well, I got to give back. You give so much free stuff away. It feels like, and my website is being built on a platform you recommended. My uh, online course is being built on a platform you recommended. I've done funnels and marketing and learned so much that I didn't think I'd ever, ever know how to do these things behind me right now is probably because I learned them from you with the virtual background. <laughs> Pretty Mine's cool. Virtual too. Dave, yeah. That's neat. Dave, here's the real question though. I get bombarded by emails, like bombarded by emails. Why, why do you believe that that's still a good way to go? Well, let me turn the question on you. Um, when you go to your mailbox each day, your physical mailbox and you open it, there's probably things you get in there that you don't like or care about. You probably get bills or other stuff, other random junk mail, right? And you're like, Oh, whatever, what is this stuff? But how do you react when there's a message or a letter or something in there from somebody that you like and respect? I like it. You love it, right? It's like, yeah. Oh, cool. I got some mail, right? Mm -hmm. So it's the same way in your email box. If people value the stuff that you're sharing with them, they look forward to seeing it. And there's, I know this question will come up eventually and there's no right answer to it, but people ask me like, how often do you email your list? Sometimes I do it daily and sometimes I do it multiple times a day. It really just depends on what's going on and the value that I think I can add. Um, but yeah, email is still the way to go. I mean, there's mentors of mine that have been doing this for a really long time and they're still having a ton of success with email. I just helped a guy do an eight and a half million dollar launch last month and the whole thing was built off email campaigns. So, you know, people can tell me it doesn't work or there's too much email or, you know, during this time we find ourselves in no one's spending money. I don't find that to be true. I mean, maybe it's true for some people, but I'm finding it to be very successful. My email is successful. Other people that have email lists are being successful just because they're not spamming and they're not just sending random stuff. Like there is a purpose and, and some reasoning behind what they're putting out there and adding value. And so when you get emails from people that you value, you open those emails and you have conversations with them. And so email is still the way to go. That's a good point. Okay. Yeah. I think you've just changed my mind on the email stuff. Yeah. So um, on the email, uh, you know, there's obviously some people are trying to take shortcuts with that. How long did it take for you to build up a list where you said, you know, instead of taking shortcuts? Great question. Uh, so let me answer your question differently. The question I get a lot is, hey, should I buy an email list? No, never. Dumbest <laughs> idea you can ever come up with because those people don't expect to hear from you. So, you know, it varies on your market and what you're trying to do, but it, it, let's, let's recalibrate here. You don't need a huge email list. Mm -hmm. um, I believe, uh, and I follow the advice of a blog post that I saw back in 2007, 2008, it's called 1000 True Fans by Kevin Kelly. And he talks about how if you just could find a thousand people who would spend a hundred dollars a year with you on your products and services, that's a hundred thousand dollar year business. That's a six figure business. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, you could change the math for whatever your case, sure. you know, maybe you want to do a million dollar thing, but you don't have to have a huge, huge list. Now, obviously when I have more than a thousand people on your email list, because not everybody buys, they're not all super fans, but you know, it doesn't need to be hundreds of thousands of people either. You can make a living off a smaller list, but um, you can build your list pretty rapidly. I mean, there's people in my group that don't have a lot of tech ability and they're adding hundreds of people to their list every couple of days. Uh, if you run like a big summit or you have a giveaway or something uh, like on King Sumo or some of these other sites, like you could get thousands of email addresses over the course of a couple of days. And the cool thing is these are people that 
want to hear about what it is you're doing, right? It's not just, the, the goal is not to just build a list, a big email list. The goal is to build a responsive email list and build a relationship with that list. So um, yeah, you can try to take shortcuts, but I think this is one of those things where uh, it's better to build a strong foundation and just kind of grow it and go up and to the right steadily. Uh, you'll be rewarded, maybe not in the short term. Like if you need to feed your family tonight, I'm not sure building an email list is the way to go. There's other things you probably should go out and do. But if you're looking to build something that will help you over the long term, then it's certainly one of the best things you could do for your business. That's right. Is that just for entrepreneurs or would you recommend B2B salespeople? And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because there's this, um, there's this new term of building your own brand, right? Build, yep. build your brand. So now even the salespeople who are working for companies have their own brands. Should they be building their own list? Yeah, I believe that people should be building their own brands as well as whatever they're doing for their company. Now, they're going to have to navigate their HR department and their legal department, all that other jazz, whatever they have to do. But the reality is companies anymore, you know, you're only going to be there as long as you're valuable to them. And the second you're not, you're going to be gone. I mean, look what's happened with this pandemic thing. As soon as it hit, all these companies are like, ah, now we're going to get rid of half our people. Right. So it, it could happen relatively quickly. And if you have a brand and an email list that you could turn to and then just kind of put some gas on the fire right, and get that thing going, then you'll be in a good spot. So um, I think people that are like my age or older, they kind of bristle at that stuff because, you know, they grew up in a time where you could work for a business forever and they took care of you forever. And they you had a pension and a 401k and a medical insurance forever that time is gone now. I think the last data that I've seen that most people will spend three to four years on average with a company before they go someplace else. So if you're only building your brand under the umbrella of that company, and then you want to go do something else, it's really hard to do that. So even on platforms like LinkedIn um, and the more professional platforms, you can still be your own thought leader in that space that you're in. And I highly recommend you do that. And I think it's totally appropriate to be building your own email list in that environment as well. You just have to make sure you're navigating things about is there conflict of interest and are there things going on with clients that are clients of the company you work for and all that other stuff. But as long as you're not, you know, poaching and you're just sharing good value, good information in the marketplace and becoming a thought leader. Yeah. I think people should do it even if they don't have a business. Wow, that's great. Well, so you just threw something out there. Now I'm really feeling absolutely asinine, stupid, what is a more professional platform than LinkedIn? Good question. And uh, thank you for making me feel good on that one. Yeah, you're. Because I was thinking it might be Snapchat. <laughs> I don't think that exists no. anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, of course, as I started doing this podcast, my landscape guys just showed up. So if that becomes a problem, let me know. I don't know if you guys are picking it up, but. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is probably most professional, but there are other platforms, not things that I go on regularly, but there are other more niche platforms and like Slack channels and things like that where people are speaking okay. about very specific things like that. Um, so, it, you know, it really depends, but there are industry specific things. There are industry specific blogs and forums and things like that where okay. people are sharing. And, and I have found that people will say, um, you know, I'm afraid to go put my own brand out there, put my own name out there because my company is going to think I'm going to go work from, for someone else. And I'm like, listen, fool, uh, <laughs> you are going to be working for somebody else. So like you can plant those seeds now. And so when the time comes, you're ready to go. But like, and I think that also gives you a stronger position to, to negotiate from. Like when you decide like, Hey, I, I either want to get a raise or a promotion here. And if I don't, then that's fine because I have my own brand and I've established something over here and I can very quickly turn it and pivot it to something else. So, yeah. I, and I, I don't think companies anymore, and, and I work in the software industry a lot and, you know, they're pretty progressive. I, lots of people in there are building their own brands, building their own lists, doing side hustles, things like that. Sure. I don't think, I think that's become more of the norm than the exception anymore. Yeah. I think so, companies have to look at that in order to stay competitive, right? If you just start laying down the law that if you do any side hustle, then you're not devoting yourself full time to us, 
So hit the road. Uh, it won't be long before they're dealing with a bunch of old school people that have no vision for the future, right? That's right. That's right. And I think, you know, one of the arguments I had to make the last place I worked as an employee, I said, this makes me a better employee. It keeps right. me sharp. It keeps me focused. I'm working on my skills, right? If I was just working for you, I would probably only work half as hard, but I'm also working for me. Let's just be honest. And so when I have something else at stake here, it keeps me in the game. It keeps me focused. I'm learning some new skills. So yeah, you should probably love it. So, yeah. and, and they did. I like it. That's a great point. Dave, for some people probably can't imagine your business setup. You, you run your own company mm -hmm. and how big is your building? How many employees are in there? Like what's your, what's your overhead and business look like? Good question. We're about to hear one of my sometime employees right now. I hope it's not too loud. I was hoping he would be gone. Uh, my, my employees, I have one employee and that would be me. So I am totally self-employed. I don't have any, uh, I have some contractors. I have some VAs I work with on a contract basis occasionally, but it's me. I'm literally sitting right now out of my sunroom. That's why you might be able to hear the landscape guys come by. And um, I do all my business off a laptop. I don't even have a double screen setup, which mm. you know a lot of people in this space are like, oh, I need two monitors. I need all this stuff. I run my entire business off a MacBook Pro. I'm looking at you right now through a $50 webcam and I have a $20 ring light. And this microphone that I'm talking into, the Blue Yeti costs a hundred bucks, I guess on average. So that's my setup and those are my employees. And, um, you know, I use a lot of automation. So I do buy a fair amount of software and I have paid versions of stuff that most people will use free versions of. So things like Trello and Evernote and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I get the paid versions because there's other cool automations you can do in there. But yeah, it's just me and uh, it works out really well. I, I am trying to build, well, that's, I'm not trying to, I have built a laptop lifestyle. Like I want to be able to do my work from wherever I have an internet connection on my computer. And I have found that if I start building all this stuff around me here at home, then I'll make the excuse that I can't take this on the road or whatever. So I've made it purposely nimble, right? You're, you're a Marine. Uh, I kind of believe in like maneuver warfare, right? It's like mm -hmm. if I keep everything small and nimble and I can carry it on my back and whatever, I can take it wherever then there's no excuse to not do my business wherever I am. And so that's part of the reason that I built it that way. Also, because I have so many followers that are like, you know, I keep telling them you need to do Facebook lives. You need to do podcasts. You need to do all this stuff. I don't want them to have any excuses. I used to have um, giant uh, softbox lights out here and I actually have a green screen behind me that I could pull up and use all that stuff. But I typically don't unless I'm recording my courses sometimes because I want people just to see that I'm a normal dude out in my sunroom growing a pretty sizable business. And so when they give me all these excuses, I go, I don't have anything fancy. I don't, I'm not using a DSLR camera or some huge setup production studio or whatever. I'm running this thing off my laptop. If I can do it, you can most certainly do it. So I, I guess the big reason is to take away the excuses from the people that follow me. That is so great. If you were in a corporate world right now, and you just lost your job because of the pandemic, knowing what you know now, what would you do? Like what would your 30, 60, 90 look like to build your business? Well, if I already had some established brand, I would just double down on that. So like if I was already posting in LinkedIn groups or whatever, um, I would get in there and talk about, hey guys, uh, I'm actively looking and here's why. But I would also add value to the conversations and help you know, just serve, serve, serve. I, this sounds kind of backwards, but I think that the more you can serve, the quicker you can serve, the better you can serve, even though you're the one that needs some help right now. I think if you continue with that service mindset and that servant leader mindset, uh, people are going to look to place you somewhere, right? They're going to think about you. You'll be top of mind when things come up, opportunities come up. But I would be crystal clear about communicating what it is I'm looking for, what it is I'm not looking for, um, who I can help, how I've helped other companies. Uh, if I have a highlight reel or a YouTube channel where I talk about stuff, thought leadership, I would certainly put all that stuff in there. So that would be kind of my first 30 days. And if I don't have any of that stuff, I would, I would get it. I would build it. Um, if you are working in corporate environment and you don't have a brag book, you don't have an email folder where you're putting all of your wins and stuff like that, then you should probably start now because then it makes it a lot easier to create this stuff. Um, but I, I would do that kind of stuff. If I, um, if I already had it, I would double down on publishing. So if I was doing a podcast, I would, I would publish more often. 
if I had a group, I would be having calls to action for people to get in that Facebook group or that LinkedIn group or whatever. I would, I would try to, with all this free time I have now, I would really try to double and triple my output to build my brand because most people will also be able to collect uh, unemployment in the short term. But I would be doing that kind of stuff because I think too, is if you're going to continue to interview and you want to get another position somewhere, you can always point to some of this other thought leadership that you have out there. And let's be honest, people are going to Google you if you're looking for a job. So you can control the conversation by publishing content. If they search you and you have all this new relevant content out there, that's what they're going to find. And they're going to say, Hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, if I was going to uh, get rid of corporate America and try to go full time, then one of the things I'll be doing is trying to create webinars that teach whatever it is my new business is going to be. And I would do them on a weekly basis, probably Thursday afternoon, three or 4 PM Eastern time. And I would have people opt into them and I would just teach and give away a tremendous amount of value and try to get people into a low priced recurring revenue model, like a membership group or something like that. Uh, and it could be anything. It could be stuff that you, you would knew in corporate America and that, you know, that was your, your career or it could be something else entirely, but I would try to find some low ticket thing where I could get a handful of people in there with a recurring revenue thing, like a monthly cycle. And so that would kind of be my 60 or 90 day plan is how do I get some people into a membership group and we can educate them, you know, over time because that will help uh, level out your revenue for you. So you're not just trying to sell things and then you're always trying to sell things, sell things, sell things. Like you sell it once and then you get people into these groups and then the recurring revenue is is a wonderful thing for you. And it will help you sleep more peacefully at night, to be honest. How would you, if you don't have an email list at all, how would you get people in your webinar? So if you already have some presence in the marketplace, some thought leadership, you've been out there somehow, somewhere, I'm sure you have some social media following. I would create the webinar and I would just start with family and friends or whoever I'm already connected to and, and try to get those folks on it. But then I would post it to social media where it's appropriate. I would post it in LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups, whatever. And let's get past this idea of like, Oh, but Facebook is not a professional place and I shouldn't be posting stuff in there. That's a bunch of crap because the people that you know that are working at the companies that are on LinkedIn also have a presence on Facebook. And if you had the money to do it, I might run a very small but targeted Facebook ads campaign at some, some people uh, to help drive them to the webinar. But um, that, that would be some of the strategies that I would start with. That's gold. You know, I was big on Facebook because I just felt comfortable there for years and I would post and do lives and, you know, but I would really be cautious with what I would post on LinkedIn and I just said, screw it. Now they both get pretty much similar content and I'm, yeah. I love it. People just want the real you, it seems like. Yeah, that's something we could spend a whole entire podcast talking about. But once I found out that... I don't need to be somebody else and I could just be me, man, that's such a freeing place to be. And um, it's just so easy to do my own podcast, to be on your podcast, to be on Facebook lives, to get interviewed on national television, like what, whatever. I'm just me. I don't have to put on any persona or be somebody else. Uh, Cause that could be really tiring. And so once you just kind of get in alignment with like, Hey, this is who I am, whether I'm employed by somebody else or I'm growing a side hustle or I'm growing my own business. Like this is how I show up. And you get to a point where like, if you don't like it, that's fine. You know, the math works in our favor here. There's about seven and a half billion people on the planet, about three and a half billion of them have access to the internet. And if you're trying to build your email list and I told you, we're only trying to find a thousand people who have spent a hundred bucks on your stuff each year the math works out for you. You just have to continue to, to put your stuff out there and publish it and have calls to action. And you know, that's, and I know that's why you focus on what you focus on. A lot of people have trouble with positioning and selling and doing the calls to action. But once you get comfortable with the selling piece of it, because it's a little bit different to be selling yourself, if you will, than selling a, a product or, or service for somebody else. Once you're selling you, people have a little bit of a challenge doing that. But once you understand that you're adding value to people and you're helping people, and if that's your goal, and you know that haters are a requirement, uh, they're a required part of the process, right? Not everyone's gonna love you. As a matter of fact, you probably want people to hate you. That means you, you have some polarity in your marketing. Uh, once you kind of get that place, 
you're in a good spot. Like I used to freak out when people would unsubscribe to my email list or from my YouTube channel or whatever. And now I'm like, that's cool. Uh, whatever. I, I don't even judge it. I'm like, awesome. I, I was not a right fit for them. Like if they're not going to listen to my podcast or be in my email list, they're certainly not going to give me their credit card when it's time to buy something. Right. So like, right. right. I that dead weight around. Yeah. Dave. So one of the things you mentioned is I think it was this 30 day, um, about putting content out there. You didn't, you know, you mentioned the brag book, but getting started and just putting out content, um, giving more than asking, do you have to have a vision as to what the future looks like? Do you have to have an end game in mind or can you kind of find that along the way? Uh, I don't think you, that's a great question. I don't think you need to have an ultimate end game, but I think you do need to know who it is you're trying to serve and what it is you're talking about. Right. So you can't just, you can't create compelling content if you don't know who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And so you gotta have some idea who that person is, what that persona sure. is avatar, but I don't think you need to know all the answers. Or but where does that lead the individual, right? So a lot of, I mean, I just get the feeling that there are other people out there as well as that they have these ideas. They don't know how to monetize it. Yep. So, you know, some are fans of it will come to them and others feel like, well, no, you have to have a vision. You have to have the goal. And that's the only way you're going to reach a goal is if you know what it is. Yeah, that's, um, and that's corporate programming, right? It's all this stuff mm-hmm. about let's have smart goals and let's do this and let's blah, 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 right? And when you have enough years of that in you, it's hard to deprogram from that. But I think when you're doing stuff online, especially if you're creating courses or membership groups or things like that, you really only have to be a chapter or two ahead of people, right? You don't have to be <laughs> at the end of the race. You Seriously, you really yeah, don't because, and you're probably, if you are far away, you're probably not as relatable, Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. Like this podcast, you guys just started there are a few episodes in, right? Now would be a great time for you to create a course or a membership group around how to start a podcast from scratch because you guys just did it, right? So you could, it's fresh in your mind. You could put a course together, a mini course, maybe a webinar or whatever. And you could be like, Hey, let's sell this thing. Even though that's not in your, your wheelhouse or whatever, like the core thing that maybe you want to focus on down the line. But like, if you're trying to feed your family tonight or, or pay the mortgage or whatever, that's some tangible information that you have right now that people would pay you for. And I think that's the thing people don't understand is that people will write a check for speed. And so if you can help speed up the process of them learning something, they will do it. Like you could create a course right now on how to do better zoom presentations, um, all this stuff that the pandemic has created, right? All these problems or situations that it's created, it's created a lot of opportunities too. And I see people stepping into it. There's somebody in my group today, just before I got on this podcast, was talking about how they're creating QR codes for local restaurants to put their menus on it so people don't have to handle the, the nasty contaminated menus when things open back up a little bit. They could just mm-hmm. scan the QR code on their phone and, and access the, the menu. And so people are creating a service to give or sell to restaurants, right? So there's all these things that you could do. So I don't think you necessarily need to know. And, and honestly, I don't think you want to know the end because I think some people get too attached to their vision. And one of my mentors always says, right, you got to detach yourself from the requirement of knowing how. So you might know generally where you're trying to go, but I can tell you, having done this for a while, the path that you think you're going to take is not the path you will end up on. You're going to end up in the woods. You're going to end up in the river. You're going to end up stalled somewhere. Right? The, the idea is you got to get back on and kind of get there. I, I use the analogy more of like a, a sailboat, right? If a sailboat is trying to go across a lake, it, it doesn't go straight. Right. Right. It has to go, has to tack one side, tack back the other side, tack mm-hmm. back and forth. So I, I think honestly, this is going to sound kind of strange. I never said it this way, but I think if you have, if you wait around to try to find the end vision or have this perfect thing, I think that's probably a liability because you'll procrastinate. You'll never have all the answers. You'll never have the perfect vision anyway. And so you'll probably never get started. So this is one of those things where it's like, you just got to go. And again, if you're just a chapter or two ahead of the people you're trying to serve, that's a really, really great place to be. That's so awesome. I, I've heard this before where people just say, just don't worry about it. Just start, start something. Yeah. And then there are people that just overanalyze and, you know, I, I have a feeling this is like therapy for me, Eric. So I'll, I'll try not to steal the show. But this, this is so freaking awesome because there's probably millions like me who 
It's like, well, how is that going to happen? You start thinking, well, I don't have the end game. So everything becomes a negative. Uh, I don't know the exact path. I don't know the end game. And then someone is just saying, go, but where am I going? Who, who gets in a car and starts driving besides me? Uh, yeah. But, you know, those are all uh, real, f I don't know if the fear is the right word, but real obstacles, I guess, uh, yeah. to getting something done, right? Yeah, well, and it's, it's legit, and I had the same problem. And I, it took me literally about two years to fully deprogram from corporate America when I was home. Like, I just, there were days where I would just sit around and do nothing because I was like, I don't want to be on a schedule. I don't want somebody telling me when I can eat. Like, I, I just have to, like, work on my own rhythm. I don't have to work eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. Like maybe I want to work 15 hours on Monday and do nothing on Tuesday. Like I can write the rules here, right? But I was so programmed of, of living in somebody else's world, but I'm going to share something else with you that will probably okay. be the zinger of the podcast. You ready? Ready. Part of the problem is when people are in a situation where they're like, I have this idea and I want to do it. They're asking blind people to proofread their vision. Yes. So if you ask everybody around you that's been in corporate America for their entire career, if doing this risky thing makes sense, 100% of those people are going to say you're crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? You're asking yeah. blind people to proofread your vision. Right? They're like, that's dumb, right? Your, yeah. your parents and your family and whatever, and you'll be like, that's dumb. That's risky. It's better safe sure. than sorry. Right? Yeah. So like, if you have this idea, one of the best things you can do is get around other like-minded risk takers, entrepreneurs, and be like, hey help me flesh this out. Like, I know there's something here, like can, help me put some meat on the bones and get this going. Um, but that's really what happens a lot is that dream dies as soon as you start telling the people around you that this is a cool thing. And here's the other thing to remember, right? Uh, that's why I talked about there's seven and a half billion people in the world. You don't need to sell this to your friends and your neighbors and the people in your community. Like if you get your stuff online and you build an email list and you do webinars and you have a podcast, you are going to have a presence in a business that is worldwide. The second, besides the United States and Canada, for me, my business, the third leading uh, country for me in terms of revenue is Australia. And I guess I could combine New Zealand in there. Mm -hmm. I've never been to either of those two places. <laughs> but I make tens That's of thousands of dollars a year from those two places. I've never been there. Now, if, when I started my business, I said, hey, I'm going to have coaching clients and and people in my group coaching program, whatever, in all these different places in the world, people would have said, dude, you're freaking crazy. Like, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't believe your idea anyway. And I certainly don't believe you're going to have a presence in New Zealand and Australia. You probably wouldn't have believed it either when you were first starting out. No, I wouldn't. I would have had no idea, right? But here's, here's the deal. You serve the people who are in front of you. You serve the people that you can serve. You solve the problems for the people that are close to you. When you do it enough and you do it reliably and you serve enough people, those people will start telling other people and then it just starts to grow. That's where I am right now. I, this is going to sound not very humble, but it's reality. I don't have to tell people how awesome I am anymore. I had to initially for positioning and authority and whatever, but now other people are telling other people, Hey, check that guy out, get in his group, listen to his podcast or whatever, because it helped enough people have success. But now it just kind of takes care of itself, which is a pretty good place to be from a marketing standpoint. Yeah. I'm, I'm always promoting you any chance I get. Here's a question, Dave. You have so much content. You're constantly putting it out. What, what's the planning phase look like for you? How far in advance do you know what you're going to be talking about? Two minutes. Wow. <laughs> it's really, so I have this co rapid cre uh, content creation framework that I use. It's called Who's the Who, So What? Okay, I know it sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, but um, who's, who's the, the who, who, so what? The what? So okay. what? Okay. So who, who am I trying to target? What is, what is this story or this thing about? So who is the who, the customer persona, the avatar, what are their pains? What are their problems? What are their challenges? How can I help them? Who's the who? And then so what? So what does this thing that I've just experienced in the world? Usually for me, it's just going out and living my life. I experience things. Um, like right now, these landscape guys keep coming close to me. I'm sure I'm going to have a story sometime about doing a podcast when my landscapers just randomly show up at the only time of the day I have a scheduled thing, right? That becomes a story, but I can tell the, so what about it? And I can be like, you know, so we, we ended up going and doing the podcast anyway, or I quickly finish my answer and hit the mute button and then whatever. Right? So but what I have to do is understand who the audience is. And then I tell a story and I have the, so what, so what that means is, so what that means to you. So what that means for your situation. So what, so what, because most people, 
are just waiting when you tell them stuff. They're waiting for the, so what? Like, so what does this mean to me? So why should I care? Like, who, who cares? So for me, because I've been doing this now for a while and I just, I can turn on the camera or the microphone and just go, I see things in my environment and I go, man, that's going to be a great story to tell later on. And whenever I'm back in front of my computer or sometimes if I can whip out my phone and the guys aren't mowing the lawn outside, I'll just do it right on my phone and say, hey, this thing just happened. And I tell a quick story and make a point and then I explain the so what. So what that means to you. So what you should be doing, whatever. So that's kind of what I do. I know that's not going to work for everybody and everybody, you know, lots of people look at having a content calendar and everything else. But for me, part of the reason why I'd love the the flexibility of my business is I can be super nimble. So if I'm hearing themes or, or stuff that I need to answer for my audience, I don't have to worry about rescheduling a content calendar that I made for 90 days. I just say, Oh, looks like my group's having a challenge with this. Let me jump in and help them. And so I turn on the camera and I start talking and doing a Facebook live and serve them or do a podcast episode or whatever. So I don't really have a content calendar mapped out. Okay. That's awesome to know. What was your very first thing that you talked about in the, uh, in your Facebook group when you first started out? I have no idea. Probably, probably had to do with building your email list and what the options were for building your email list at the time, like what the different companies and what the different email service providers were. So it probably had something to do with how to set up landing pages and get your opt-in set up. If I had to guess, nice. that's probably what I talked about from the beginning. So I started, I, I just tried this King Sumo thing and I've, I've tried to build the email list. By the way, I've taken your advice and some of them got me a couple hundred people on my list right away, which was great. I'm doing this King Sumo thing and it got like 12 people that signed up in two days, right? Maybe doing it over Memorial Day weekend wasn't the best timing, but it's going to run for five days. Um, how do you know like when it's not working well and then what do you do to try to remedy it? Like, how do I know what didn't work well in this case? That's a good question. And there could be a million things there. Um, it could be the offer. It could be your copywriting. It could be a million things. It could be a Memorial Day weekend. It could be all kinds of stuff. So you really don't know. The, the only thing you really do is try to split test it. So run it a different way with a slight tweak to it to see if it, it converts any different. I mean, ultimately when you're doing this stuff online, split testing is what it comes down to and or AB testing. Sometimes I call it it's basically just, you know, and click funnels and some other platforms allow you to do it. It's basically running one page 50% of the time and another page, another 50% of the time and the software will rotate it for you. Uh, and you just make one tiny tweak between the two things. Cause if you change too many things, you don't know to your point about, you know, how do I know which it is? I don't know. Cause there could be a lot of variables there. But when you start split testing things and getting more sophisticated with it, if it could just be literally the color of the buy button or the bullet, the subtext or whatever, that one little thing could change your conversion sometimes by 20%. Wow. So in your case, it's really just, you know, sometimes you could do surveys of people who saw the thing but didn't, didn't buy, right? In your case with King Soma, you can't really do that. But sometimes if I'm sending stuff out to my list and I see people that opened and clicked but did not buy sometimes i will send a follow-up survey to that segment of my audience and say hey i've been talking about this thing for a couple of days and i noticed that you didn't jump on help me understand why what could i do to serve you differently or better and i might send out a just a one question survey like that or just an email and say hey respond and let me know and i'll get some feedback and people will say it's cost too much or whatever the you know the buyer's objections are but usually there's a theme and then i go "Ooh." okay, thanks. I'm glad I have that information. And so next time I do it, I change that thing and hopefully it converts a little better. But when you first get started, it's honestly just putting things out there and just trying to get a rhythm and seeing what your audience wants, seeing what they like, trying to get in touch with what their needs are, stuff like that. That's awesome. So Harry runs a team in Miami who sell office technologies, copiers, printers, you know, document management software, getting into IT services they've it's been pretty traditional right knocking on doors cold calling that's been the business model what what's the future of that type of business well i think in that type of business especially since people are trying to go paperless or digital or wherever possible 
showing any economies of scale around having these machines that will do it all for you. So if they will do the scanning and the document management stuff, and even though that's going to be more of a capital outlay, that could mean you hire fewer people, which means fewer benefits, which means, you know, all these things on the manpower side of things. So you can talk about that perspective. Um, I, I think, you know, doing online demos or doing webinars, thought leadership things where instead of presenting to one office or one group of people, you're just gathering a whole bunch of people saying, Hey, are you having document management nightmares, you know, because of this, or you have to keep this because of HIPAA or you have other retention policies and how are you keeping all of this stuff? Like we're the professionals in the space. Let us educate you on the best things you could be doing. And you could be inviting people to these free webinars, whatever. And obviously in the webinar, you're going to give them a ton of value, but you're also going to showcase your own products and say, Hey, this particular thing will do this. And it stores the stuff and it keeps it over here and you can have it automatically uploaded off site. So there's backup or whatever the requirements are for whatever the business is. Mm -hmm. But I think again, it's just, it's helping them solve problems. And a lot of times in these cases, problems they don't even know they have, right? Right. They're trying to go from this to that and, and you need to educate them a little bit. Wow, that's that's, that's awesome. gold. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been in my industry? <laughs> Zero seconds. Wow, but that's uh, how, so, that's, you know what? That that's so, I'm sorry, I just cut you off. No, here. but that's that's any industry. It's just yeah. what are the problems, right? And that's the thing because I work with so many different people in so many different industries. I can be conversant in a lot of stuff, so mm-hmm. I could kind of speak your lingo a little bit, but. Um, but that's, that's the problem in any industry, people have problems and in most corporate settings, they try to solve them incrementally, which never gets them anywhere. So you're going to come in and offer them something that's going to solve the problem, but it's going to be a a much bigger investment than they're used to. You have to make the case to say, listen, you just keep putting band-aids on stuff when you're going to get to a point where this stuff is just going to blow up or, you know, everyone has to work from home all of a sudden. Oh my gosh, how's that going to work? You can't do it if you have a physical machine in your office. If you have a digital setup, then people can work from home and you're not going to have any problems during a pandemic. Something like that. Oh, no, that's great. And, you know, sometimes true as well is that as an outsider, you can look at something and say, why aren't you guys doing this? Yes. Have you yeah. experienced that before? Yeah, I, all the time. And it's funny because people that want to work with me as a coach sometimes, they're like, you don't have any knowledge in my industry. And I'm like, that's the best thing in the world for you. Because I'm going to ask questions that everybody in your industry is afraid to ask because I don't care. I don't care if I look like a fool. So I come in there and say, hey, well, how come you guys aren't doing this? And if you're like, well, that's a HIPAA regulation. We actually need to have a fax machine. We can only do these things via fax. I'll go, oh, okay. But then I'll go, but does it have to be a physical document? Can it be a digital fax? And you're like, oh, I guess then where do we store all the, the documents? What do we do with them? And do we have to have a backup and whatever? So, wow. Brilliant. I'm taking yeah. this guy on sales calls. <laughs> I, 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 as long as I get a percentage. Of, of course. Revenue. There you yeah. go. Give me your affiliate link. You'll get a low monthly re- residual. That's yeah. fine. Dave, I know you got to get going here. Um, real quick question. What legacy are you building? Legacy I'm building is... Uh, helping people unleash their awesome on the world. So for me, I'm displaying that to my children, showing them that a lot of the limitations and stuff that have been placed upon them or they placed upon themselves are, are fake. They're, they're not real limitations. And then they can do pretty much anything they want. They're starting to learn that actually from the situation we find ourselves in right now. They're doing college courses and stuff from home, high school courses from home, and they're learning some pretty interesting things from this. So I think for me, the legacy I'm building is just for my family, but um, I'm also trying to build a long-term financial legacy for multiple generations. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here, Dave. You've added tremendous value to at least the two of us and the three people. The three people that are going to listen to this podcast in India. (laughs) We have three fans in India. Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. And, you know, and I'm happy to help you guys however I can. And you know, I'm sure you'll say in the show notes where people can connect with me, but I'm, I'm out here to help serve people. So if I can serve you or your audience in any way, just let me know. Can I Absolutely. Ask, ask one other question? Sure. Um, is the whole Zig Ziglar thing. I'm a huge fan of that. You said it took you a while to figure that out and personalize it. When did that happen in your life? Yeah, I think everybody, you know, we read these quotes and we see these things and they're powerful, but not until we actually do it. Mm-hmm. Um, do we, do we understand it? So I had, I got in a position where I, as I was making the transition, um, to my full-time job, I, I knew that it was going to take a little bit of time. And I thought over the long term, 
let me just see if I can serve people here and see what that does. So I had more of a long-term, um, you guys oh, it's, pick, the background noise is fine. Are you, guys, are you guys picking that up? How loud? It's just a little. Um, Eric can tweak it. Yes. Yeah, oh, There's Susie, no way I'm tweaking that. <laughs> you asked me a great question. The guy decides to come back over here. Um, Get the leaf blower going. <laughs> yeah, well, no, he's still on the tractor. Leaf blower's oh, okay. coming next. Right. Uh, but I think for me, it was get, get it, and this is a corporate America training too. Like, like, what have you done today? What have you done tomorrow? Like, what, what are you going to do by Friday? What are you going to do? When I, as soon as I took my blinders off and said like I don't need these short-term things I don't need to you know sell x amount of units by Friday let's just take a more long-term look at this mm -hmm. the only thing the only key uh, KPI key performance indicator I started looking at was how many people I'm adding, adding to my list or my audience each day and then I'll just serve so I wasn't looking at revenue I was just like let me build and serve an audience and so once I flipped that and said let me do that and not focus on short-term revenue my business exploded. And I think the same thing happens in corporate America where shareholders are looking at, you know, what happened this month, what happened this quarter, what happened this year. I think a lot of the companies that don't give monthly or quarterly uh, shareholder guidance have more freedom and flexibility to do things and make bigger decisions. And so in my case, I kind of looked at that and said, yeah, man, I, the only shareholder guidance I'm giving is myself. So mm -hmm. just take the reins off. Let, who cares about today? Who cares about tomorrow? Let's focus on down the road. Let's just build an audience and serve these people. And in time, you'll get anything you want. And so that's. I so love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really uh, cool. Yeah. You are uh, amazing. Thank you for sharing so much insight. Uh, I'm going to write a book. Uh, Things I've learned from Dave Gambrell in an hour. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That sounds like a good book. About <laughs> <I love it. laughs> Dave, before I let you go, before this show, I went into your Facebook group and I said, and I posted, if you were introducing Dave Gambrel as a guest on your podcast, how would you do it? Most creative intro will have a chance to actually be used. There's actually a few of them that I like. If you don't mind, can I say what your, some of your <laughs> followers, I guess, said about you? All right. Yeah, feel free. This one, this one comes from Hunter Tippett. He said, the mail list making guru, the meme master, your digital marketing mentor, Dave Gambrel. All right, we got, <laughs> we got, uh, let me see, there was another funny one. Oh, Joe, oh gosh, Joe, Dukowicz, Dukowicz, yeah, it says, please welcome the official, unofficial, unpaid spokesperson for Under Armour and Blue Microphones. He who cares. The picture is crooked, but got an affiliate link right here for you, bringing you the best of the dot, dot, the gambrel. <laughs> what? Bringing you the best of the dot, Dave Gambrel. That's it. The way you said it. Sorry. This is hilarious. Jeff Raver, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to rumble? In this corner is undisputed digital media champion of the world, the master of overcoming disaster, the king of the affiliate ring, the one, the only, Dave Gamble. <laughs> I actually so, like that one. That one's actually it's really good. good. We should use that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to splice it. I'll use that <laughs> one instead. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, yeah, somebody I said in my group the other day to encourage people to get started. I said, listen, you have to remember that every master was once a disaster, right? So if that's holding you back, right? The idea that you need to be perfect and you need to do all this stuff, just get going. Make your mess your message and get on with it. Well, that's exactly so what I'm doing that. here. Yeah. Yeah. Love One it. of the last things yeah. I got from that you were promoting was Russell Brunson's um, marketing secrets and that whole book bundle. Mm -hmm. And as I was lit, you know, the audio book came with it, which was awesome because the book came like a month and a half later, but the audio book I'm listening to it. And he said, uh, my first marketing, marketing from the car or marketing secrets podcast, you know, the first 50 sucked. But if I never got through those first 50, so that's what I keep telling Harry, man. Harry's like, this podcast so good. I said, dude, this podcast sucks. Wait for number 51. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now I see why you go. Yeah, now I see why you invited me on one of your first 50. Now I get it. Thank you. That's no, sir. Yeah. We're not going to put this out until 50. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we just do enough to not say anything, just let you speak. So that way it should be pretty yeah. good. There you go. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. You are a rock star. Um, where can people reach you? Yeah, the best place to find me would actually be on my own podcast. It's called Unleash the Awesome. It's available anywhere you can listen to podcasts. 
And in there, I share all kinds of other places where people can find me. But my last name is spelled Gambrill, G-A-M-D-R-I-L-L. If you just look that up, I'm not hard to find online. I'm usually on Instagram. You can find me on my Facebook group, whatever. Just reach out and say hi, and uh, there's a pretty good chance I'll, I'll help you however I can. Totally. Have a good one, Dave. From here to there, you're going to grow because you've listened to our show. If you like our podcast vibe, don't be a stranger. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to join the B2B Sales Secrets Facebook group and we'll see you on the next episode.